0: All right, sisters and brothers, we are continuing in our look at Jacob and Esau. What a, uh, I have really enjoyed this uh, particular series, and uh, we have only this week and then two more weeks left. Uh, before then, we're into Palm Sunday and to Easter, and so um, so if you can uh, believe it, Jacob is kind of winding down, but we still got a little bit more to cover, so don't, don't quit yet. Just keep coming, and... Um, And this morning, we are looking at Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 20. After all of this struggle between Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob, of course, fleeing from Esau. uh, And now, at long last, Jacob and Esau are going to come back together. And so let's see what that's like as Genesis 33 begins to describe it. Now, Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming. And four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the, the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, and finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Since you have received me with such favor, please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and seer. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, why should the Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for one hundred pieces of money the plot of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you on this, uh, another uh, glorious sunshine day, and we are reminded of the brightness of your Savior. We are reminded that as long as you are with us, that darkness can never prevail. So we pray, Lord, that as the light, that you would illuminate our eyes to see what it is that you would have us to see and to hear this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So if you were here last week or if you know the story well, you will know that Jacob has just kind of woken up, if you will, from a very interesting night. He had been wrestling all night with a man who ended up being God and he had been injured as a part of that wrestling and he had, his, his hip had been dislocated. But he held on, he continued to hold on to God until he received a blessing. And as a part of that, he received a new name. He would no longer be known as Jacob, the heel grabber, the swindler. But he would be known as Israel, as one who is in relationship with God. And then he woke up knowing that this would be the day that he would meet Esau. The brother who hated him, at least when he had left, some two decades or more earlier. And so he begins to go towards Esau. And he sees Esau off in the distance. Esau and 400 men. And so Jacob quickly, it seems, kind of partitions all of the people. The maids go up front with their children. Then there's Leah with her children. And then Rachel and Joseph. And Jacob then goes around them, it seems, and he walks up to the front of all of that large group, and he begins to walk toward Esau. And then he begins to bow. And he walks, and then he bows, and then 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 he walks, and then he bows. Seven times. I think that was seven, right? Seven times. Anyone counting? Seven times he walked, and then he bowed. Now, if you can just imagine what in the world Jacob would be thinking right now. Jacob, as he saw Esau running towards him with 400 of his men behind him, you can imagine that he is either thinking this is going to be the start of something new or this is the very last thing I will ever see. Jacob, or Esau, grabs a hold of him. He begins to weep. There is this remarkable embrace. Uh, we talked about this at our staff meeting on Wednesday, and someone said it's very much like the father and the prodigal son, the way that the, the father came out to the one who had clearly done him so wrong, and yet cared little and ran out and embraced him and began to weep, right? There's very kind of similar scenes, if you will. And so they, he's weeping, and there's a sense of reconciliation and embrace, and and then Esau looks around and says, well, who who are all of these people? When last time I saw you, you were like all I saw was your backside, and you were all alone as you were running away. And, and, and Jacob says, well, these are my, these are my, these are the people that God has blessed me with. This is a family that God has blessed me with. Esau then goes on and says well what about all these other things that had been coming to me you may recall over the last couple of weeks how how we had talked about how uh, Jacob had sent like gifts if you will and Esau right or Jacob man there's too many names Jacob was pretty honest here saying well you know I was basically trying to butter you up and Esau said look I'm loaded I don't need any of that i, I you know I've been blessed here beyond measure and uh, you know, you take that. But Jacob said, no, 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 please, please, you, you take it. And so then Esau wants Jacob to come with him. Come with me. Let's, let's journey together to, to see her. It'll be great. We can go together. And Jacob looks around and says, look, you see these children. You, you see these nursing animals. There's no way. If you drove them hard, you know what? They would all die. We just, we can't do that right now. But you go, I'll, I'm going to see you over there. And then Jacob promptly goes in the opposite direction. He sets up a home, and then he sets up an an altar called El Elohi Israel. And that's where the scene ends. Now, one of the great things about going through a story like this is that you really get to kind of get a sense of the you, you, your anticipation begins to build and, and you begin to see how things are kind of interwoven in ways that you don't do when you just hit and miss on a story like Jacob. Right? So, so one of the things that we see, right, is we've been kind of building up, like what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen when Esau, whom he, whom, whom he hasn't seen his younger brother for so long, what's going to happen when they finally come together, right? It's a little bit like when we went through the Joseph story uh, a couple of years ago, right? And we, 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 we built up and we wondered, what was Joseph going to do with his brothers? Was he, was he, he just kind of kept throwing them off and he, they had clearly done him wrong? Was he going to ultimately harm them or not? Which as I thought about that, this was the first time I'd ever thought about this, do you realize that Joseph was there when he saw his father being forgiven by his older brother, by Jake, by Joseph's uncle Esau. Have you ever thought about that? Joseph is watching his uncle Esau forgive his brother for what he had done. And then many years later, Joseph is faced with the exact same situation. Remember how we talked about several weeks ago about what is it that we are passing down to our children, our covenant children, our nephews, if you will. Who's to say that a part of the reason why Joseph was able to forgive his brothers was because he remembered how wonderful it was the grace that his uncle had shown to his own father? These are these kind of remarkable kind of journeys that that, that we see in the Scripture when we begin to look at them all together and not just as kind of one-offs, if you will. Of course, the other part of it that happens whenever you keep going from, from one story to the next is that you begin to see and you remember what had happened just before. Because as I was thinking about this particular scene, the question that I was wondering was... After Jacob had had this remarkable experience with God, after, after all these years when it seems like his relationship with God is finally somewhat cemented, what difference would it make in how Jacob actually lived his life? How does this experience with God actually change See, this is one of the things that's so critical for us to always remember. The world is always looking at us and is always asking the question, they talk a lot about God, does it actually change how they live? And we in the church, if I can say it so boldly, we in the church have oftentimes fallen into the trap of thinking that being a follower of God means that primarily you are informed about God, not that you are actually transformed by God to look more like God. Sometimes we think if we offer enough things to inform you so that you know as much as is humanly possible about God that you have done the work. But God is never just interested in informing us. He is always wondering how are we being transformed, not just informed. And so looking at this story then, the question is, we've seen Jacob, we've followed him, we know what a swindler he is. How do things look different now after having wrestled with God really for probably 20 years or more? And now after having all of that wrestling kind of cemented, how is he actually living any differently? And so we, one of the ways that I think that you see this is I was quite surprised. Now maybe I look too disparagingly upon Jacob. But when Jacob got together all of the people, you know, when he said, okay, maid, you go up front. All right, Leah, you're right there. That's great. Okay, Rachel, I fully expected Jacob to be in the back. Right? I did not expect Jacob to actually lead the way. I mean, but why would I? Right, Jacob has made a lifetime of always running away, of fleeing whenever things aren't easy and trying to get away. We see it obviously with his older brother, that he flees from him, but we see it even just with his uncle Laban. Right, His uncle Laban had been out, they were like fleecing, they were like out shearing the sheep. And Jacob said, this is a good time, I'm out. Right? It gave him a good three days head start. I fully expected Jacob in this scene to kind of say, okay, you guys go. Hey, I am right behind you. Keep moving forward. And then always being ready to go if things don't turn out well. But here we see this remarkable scene where then Jacob goes to the very front of the line. There is a sense of the fact that some of that fear, at least, is gone. And there is a sense that he trusts in the God who said he would be with him. And because he trusted, he began to live differently. It's much like the 23rd Psalm that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because nothing bad will ever happen. Not because, hey, everything is great. But because God is with me or us. Right? So that that means that you have a different courage to move forward. That you begin to approach the world your neighbor, and even your enemy differently because you know that you are not doing it alone. You know that you are not walking this road alone. But not only that, it seems to me we also begin to see that he lives differently, that there is some sense of transformation because when Esau says, who are these people around you, Jacob didn't say, they're all mine. Pretty impressive, huh? Look at this family. I left with nothing and look at all these people. Right? Who's good? Right? He didn't say that. What does he say? He says, these are the ones from whom God has blessed me. There is a complete shift. This is not about me and what I can get and my birthright and my blessing. This is being able to see what you have and say, this I know is all because of God right? The way that we understand who we are and what we have, we say this with great regularity, is because we, when we begin to see that those things are all gifts of God, we begin to then look differently at things. We begin to live more generously. We begin to give with more joy. Why? Because we know it is all a gift, right? Then when he goes to this land, El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel, which remember what his name is now. It's it's Israel, right? In other words, this is this is my God. This is saying that this everything I have, this is from God. We begin to see this shift, this transformation, and then, of course, you have the actual reconciliation in itself, right? Walter Brueggemann says that reconciliation with God and reconciliation with your brother or sister that they are not the same thing, but they are also intricately connected. You remember 1 John, 1 John where it says that if you love God, you must also love your brother. And if you say you love God and you hate your brother, then you are a liar. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And why is that? Because God says that the only way that you are genuine and you know that you are genuinely are, are loving me is when it begins to change not just how you see me, but how you see all of those who are around you. Jacob knew that if he had this love of God, this relationship with God, that it meant that he had to face, no matter how difficult it might be, he had to at least try to be reconciled with his brother. There is this connection, this transformation that when you become transformed by God, it should not just change the vertical. It should also, of course, change the horizontal and how we approach, again, everyone that we see. So you see, all of these things, all of these kind of transformations that I would say are a great sign for Jacob that clearly this wrestling with God has been transformative for him. It has changed him. And yet, unless we just want to look at this through rose-colored glasses, we have to also be fully aware that not everything has changed. I mean, first of all, I think Genesis kind of tips its hat to this by the fact that Genesis does not right here all of a sudden begin to call him Israel. It keeps saying, I don't know if you noticed this or not, it keeps saying, Jacob, Jacob. Right? In other words, there's this sense, as we talked about last week, where we said, you know what, some of us have all these names that hinder us from God, the names either given to us by others or by ourselves, but God says, no, 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 you are a child of God, this is who you are, but just because you know that doesn't mean that we always live into that. In fact, oftentimes in the midst of fears or anxieties or pain, we revert back to old names and we forget and we don't live into the fact of who God says. Says that we are. We fluctuate ourselves between am I Jacob or am I Israel? Am I Jacob or am I Israel? Am I who others say I am or am I a child of God? And a part of how we see this is we see this in the fact that Jacob, while in one sense kind of having courage. Jacob is also kind of going back to reverting to his old self, isn't he? I mean, first of all, this excuse as to why he can't go on with Esau is horrible. There has got to be a better excuse than this, right? Well, look around. I mean, you see how these, these animals, I mean, the whole flock will die if even just one day you run them too hard. You know what you also could have said? Maybe, maybe I don't know enough about animals. You could have also said, hey, that sounds great, Esau. How about we go slow? Huh? Am I the only smart enough guy to think about that, right? There have been a lot of other ways, right? This is a horrible, right? I know how to give feeble excuses. This is a feeble excuse, right? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, no, no. And then, of course, right? He says, okay, yeah, we're going to go. And literally, they went northwest. He went southeast to a wholly different place. He's completely lying, Now, you could say, if you want to give Jacob the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's not really just trying to lie, but maybe it comes out of this place of fear, and who can blame him in some sense, right? I mean, Esau had just had his birthright, not just, but had his birthright and his blessing stolen. Maybe he's a shyster, right? Maybe he's going to actually, like, he's just trying to get me to go to Seir, and then he's going to kill me, right? Maybe that's what's really happening. We don't know for sure, But whatever it is, it's clear that Jacob isn't fully living into this new name, into who God says he is. He's not fully transformed, which quite frankly, if I can be so honest, is a bit of a blessing for us. Because it is this reminder that being transformed and looking more like God is a process. You never just get there. And there are times when we are criticized by the world for being hypocritical and for the fact that we don't, you know, completely act out of who God says that we are, or who we even say. And at some points you just have to say you are right. We do struggle. This is a lifetime transformation. That's not an excuse to take the easy road, but it is the reality to say that this is a lengthy process. And there are days when we look a lot more like God than we did the day before. And there are days when, quite frankly, we might look a, le- a bit less. So it is a process. And not only that, then you see it's even a process when it comes to reconciliation altogether. right? Someone has said that it would be nice, but, but the reality is that reconciliation is oftentimes more unambiguous than we would like. Right? In other words, it's, it's more ambiguous than we would like. Let me say it's oftentimes it is not nearly as clear as we might hope for. Right? Sometimes in these kind of fairy book or fairy story kinds of things, you know, you think, oh, well, all of a sudden they have all these bad, all this bad blood, and then all of a sudden they said they're sorry, they kissed, they made up, and then they were besties, as the kids would say these days, right? And they just go everywhere and they're just friends forever. Isn't it beautiful? Guess what? More often than not, that's not the real world, right? Most of you could probably think of people with whom you may have reconciled. There may be some sense of forgiveness, but you also know that it is a process. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden now, you guys are going to be always hanging out like old brothers used to do, right? There's this sense of the brokenness of the world, and sometimes whole reconciliation will only happen at the return of our Lord, It is, sometime, at some points, a muddled situation. So I've been asking myself this question. In what ways has Jacob truly been transformed because of this experience of God, and in what ways has he not? But there's also another question that has been on my mind this week that, again, I would not have thought of Unless we had tied these stories together. I said that when he was walking up to Esau, that he was walking and bowing and walking and bowing and walking and bowing ad nauseum there seven times. But that's not entirely true, is it? Uh, Because Jacob wasn't actually just walking to Esau, was he? What was he doing? He was limping toward Esau. So I never really thought about that very much. This this little dislocated hip, this is not some small thing. This is something that you continue on for a long time, if not forever, certainly the next day. Think about this. When Esau is coming up to him, Jacob is limping. He is limping and he is bowing. He is limping and he is bowing. And my question this week that has kept coming into my head is how does that position, how does that stature stature as you're going towards somebody, how does that change that particular scene? You see, people are convinced, I don't really know why we're convinced of this, and they may be right, but I don't know how we know one way or the other, that Esau, he already had in his mind that he was going to be reconciled with Jacob. Because i got to be honest with you, if I think I'm going to be reconciled with somebody, I don't have like 400 attorneys behind me, or 400 big beefy guys that are coming behind me with me, right? No, 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 I go by myself, or I go with a couple of other folks, But one way or the other, my question for us is this, that when Jacob is limping and then bowing, there is a sense of the humility from bowing down, but there is also a sense of absolute vulnerability that comes from limping up to somebody. Right if you've ever been injured, right if you've ever had a leg injury or an arm injury, you know there is a sense of vulnerability. There is a sense of there is no me getting out of here very quickly. And I have been wondering to myself, what difference does it make is 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 being vulnerable and being humble? Is it not a remarkable invitation into reconciliation and into relationship? See, one of the things that happens, I think, when we fully experience God just as Jacob did is the fact that when we do so, here's what happens. The light of God shines into our lives. And guess what happens when the light of God shines into our lives? Guess what it will oftentimes discover? Oh, you know. It will oftentimes discover things that are hidden deeply in there that you don't want anyone to see. It will oftentimes hide brokenness and sin and dysfunction and pain and suffering. But one of the things that happens, we believe this very strongly, is that when God shines that light, which is incredibly painful, but his holiness can only do that. It has to shine its light into our humanity, that in the same way, at the same time that that light is coming in, he is embracing us. Which then allows us to be as honest about those things, about that sin and about that brokenness as possible. It allows us to be vulnerable before God in ways that we never could otherwise. And what I want to suggest, as we have suggested before, is that when you have that sense of being able to be vulnerable to God, when you know that you are a child of God and that you are loved no matter what, when you know that you have that, it then gives you this unique opportunity to also be vulnerable with others. Right? What do we say? We spend so much time and energy doing everything we possibly can to hide our brokenness and sin from one another. And when we do that, we are failing at giving people an amazing gift. There's this quote that I read a few weeks ago from theologian Karl Barth that I think is just masterful. It says, When we speak of our virtues, we are competitors. When we confess our sins, we become brothers. I want to say this again. When we speak of our virtues, about those things that we're, you know, we're really good at this. And we speak in different ways. We speak of our virtues by the cars that we drive, by the houses that we live in, by the pictures we put up here and there about what our life looks like. Those are speaking our virtues. When we do that, you know what this is like because you feel it when you see someone else's virtues spoken into your life. You become a competitor to them. But when you are willing to confess and to be vulnerable and to show people the limp that you have then you make brothers and sisters you are inviting them into reconciliation you are inviting them into relationship When Jacob came limping and bowing up to Esau, he was inviting him into a relationship and reconciliation in a much different way than if he had just walked up armed and ready to go. As if he had everything together. This past Tuesday night, I got together with, I don't know, about 10 of us. Uh, it was a part of my kind of my, my you get, many of you know, I'm in the process of trying to get my doctorate here. And, and, and so it was a part of this process. I had to get together a focus group. And most of the folks had been here for, for eight years or so or longer. Not all of them, but most of them. And so we got together as a part of this focus group, and it was, I want to know more about ZPC's history, but it was there was a particular slant to it. I, I wanted to know kind of tell me the good things about ZPC and its history. Who were the heroes of ZPC? When were, you, when were you most proud of who ZPC was? And, and and when did you know for sure? You know what, this is the place I have found my People. I I thought I knew it was gonna be a great night, that there were gonna be a lot of great stories, some of which I'd heard before, some of which I had not, And, and so there we were, but and so there were some things, a lot of things that I expected, but there were also some surprises. And the biggest surprise was this. The biggest surprise to me in this conversation that was by and large supposed to be incredibly happy was how many people brought up the troubled years of ZPC between 08 and 2013. Now when I first got here in 2014, that conversation came up with some regularity and it was full of pain. The pain, the brokenness, the people who had left and quite frankly, understandably so. And so I kind of thought when we got together to say, when were you most proud and who were the heroes of CPC?" I was pretty sure it was going to be 2007 and earlier. And yet... When they came up with heroes, they so often came up with people who were here in the midst of that and who kept encouraging one another. With people who who stepped up when it was difficult to step up and say, we're going to keep coming amidst all of this pain and difficulty and it is not fun. That some talked about how difficult it was in those times to go out into town, into the marsh. Remember the marsh? Into the marsh. Right? And, 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 and people say, wait, you still go there? And yet, some almost ten years, five to ten years later, as, as now as they look back at that time, they begin to see how amidst the limping of that time Are there not some blessings that we have begun to discover? See, this is a part of the reason. There's a lot of folks here now who have no idea when you talk about the troubles. Any of the members that we have coming this time or even last time, when you would say something about, oh, the difficult years, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. And that's fine. And I know there are some people who would say, can we just keep it there? But here's the thing. I want you to know. There is something remarkable that was learned in the midst of that that I will be Doggone crazy for us to say, let's just forget all of that. And I was reminded of that when I sat there and heard these stories. Right? Many of people, as we talked about it, they brought up last week's sermon about the reality that you do have the limp, right? And that it is pain. But man, can you not see the way people were changed? How, How spiritually people grew dramatically in that time, no matter how painful it was. But here's something else I want you to know. That as I thought about that conversation and this passage, I want you to know. That as someone who came after all of that, when I looked at you, amidst that pain and amidst that limp, I found people who were remarkably humble and vulnerable. And people with whom they wanted to be in relationship. And their posture was a posture of saying, we would love to be in relationship. We didn't come in to people who said, hey, we got this all figured out. We don't really need anybody. We don't really need you. Hey, I mean, it's great if you want to come and be a part of this because we're pretty amazing. No, no, no. We had people who came in, as I came in, with a limp and with an amount of humility that I found overwhelming. Now, I don't know what it was like beforehand, and ZPC was great beforehand. I want you to hear that. But I can't imagine they were any more humble or vulnerable than they were after living through that time. And I want you to know, I don't want you to hide that limp. Because, you see, I think the blessings of being relational and vulnerable and humble. I think all of those came, not in spite of the limp, but because of it. It changed who we were. And for that, I want you to know that I am thankful. This transformation of God does not come easily. Sometimes it comes through wrestling for one night. And sometimes it comes after years of struggle and pain. But the more that we can see how the blessings come out of those limbs the more that we can see by being honest about our own struggles and pain and sin and brokenness, the more open then we are to others to come and be a part of what we're doing and for them to be able to have the permission to show their own limping, the more that others will be reconciled to God and to others. One slow limp after another. Growing more and more like God. That this community might then never be the same. Amen? Let's pray. God, we enter into this time as a moment of confession for the reality that we know so often We do everything that we can to try to hide our own struggles, our own sin. But you invite us in this time as we prepare to take the bread and the cup. You invite us because you embrace us. May that embrace allow us to fully confess and to then grow closer and closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.